So you want to give me some old Viking mythology? Yeah, if we're going to talk about that, we might as well just pick one with relation to fishing. So the story is called uh, Balder's Death. Uh, Balder was uh, the most beautiful god in the Valhalla, uh, son of Odin, very, very strong and good in fight. Uh, but Balder could not get killed because all living and all dead around the world were sworn into by a witch that he couldn't kill Balder. One day the guards up there, they were bored and they want to have a laugh, so they tried to kill Balder. <laughs> they did it with axes and clubs and spears and bow and arrows and everything, and everything just peeled off him. But Balder's immortality. It irritated Loki. A god prone to mischief and deception. Really a lot. And he found out that one thing that was not sworn into not killing Balder, that was the mistletoe. Because when the witch made Balder immortal, she figured that mistletoe didn't it look dangerous. That could not hurt anyone, so there was no point of sworn it in. So Luke, he changed himself into a woman and took one of the guards who were blind. Luke asked him, do you want to have a go on Balder? Do you want to try to kill him? And he said, yeah, I would love to, but I can't see him. Now I'm going to give you a hand with that. So he took a bow and the mistletoe on the bow helped him and they shot uh, Balder. And he died. <laughs> so all the gods were crying. And Belder's mother, Sigrid, was so distraught by the death of her son that she asked one of the gods to go back to hell and pick Belder back. And uh, when, when they get to hell, she said that the keeper of hell's gate, she would bring Belder back if everyone cried about him. And there was only one who didn't, and that was the old witch. And this witch didn't cry, because that would make this story way too simple. And she said that uh, it was Loki to blame, and then the god knew that Loki did it. That Loki had killed Baldur. And when Loki heard that the gods knew of his sin... And he, he fleed and hide himself in the woods, built a ship with four windows which pointed north, east and west and south, so he could see when any gods came. And he was bored. And he transformed himself into a salmon and jumped into the lake in the daytime. And in the nighttime, he sat in the shed and he knitted. And when he knitted, he realized that he had made a net, fishing net. He thought that this can't kill me if the god comes. Loki had created his own mistletoe. So he burned it. And when he did, just threw it on the fire, he saw all the gods were coming. So Loki jumping in the water and transformed him into a salmon. And the gods storm into Loki's cabin, and there they see... The net laying on the flame. And they realize how they can use this net to capture Loki in his salmon form. And they built a new one, and they cross it, the river, and uh, Loki hides it underneath the stones. That's the reason that the, the salmon are doing the same thing today. So Thor, he went out and hold the net down to the bottom, and they had another go on it. And they pushed Loki all the way to the sea. And Loki decided to pull all his strength into his tail and jump over the net. And that's the reason that salmon are jumping obstacles today. But Thor was out there and he saw him jumping and he grabbed Loki, but he was slippery. So Thor's hand went down to his tail and not losing him, he grabbed very hard on the tail. 
and that is the reason that the salmon's tail, the joint, is smaller than the trout today. That's the story about it. But they got him and uh, they didn't kill him, but they placed him in, in a cave and tied him down to the bedrock with chains and they placed the snake on top of him and so he could drip poison on his face. And his wife actually holds a bowl to catch this poison so it doesn't hit his face. But when it gets filled up, she needs to remove it and empty it. And when she does that, he's going to have some poison dropping on his face for the rest of his miserable life. <laughs> that's just a funny story for And me. is that where he is right now, Loki? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where he is now. Near here. <laughs> yeah, just around the corner. Don't set him loose because if you set him loose, that would be the start of Ragnarok, <laughs> the end of the world. <laughs> because he's the one who's going to release Fenris, the wolf. So don't, 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 don't do that. After my time in Ireland, I flew to the Faroe Islands, which is this semi-autonomous chain of islands in the middle of the North Atlantic, about halfway between Norway and Iceland. And what makes the Faroe Islands unique is that they're so remote that the islands still hold on to traditions dating back nearly a thousand years. For example, islanders still harvest whales. Fishing continues to account for a huge portion of the Faroese diet and economy. Nearly everyone in the Faroes has a few dozen sheep. And the Faroese dialect is completely unique, owing to its isolation from foreign influence for the past thousand years. But the Faroe Islands are changing. As stocks of ocean fish decrease, the economy has become increasingly reliant on salmon farming. The islands are an easy flight from a few dozen locations in Europe, so there are more tourists than ever before. And with more tourism comes more traffic, the introduction of invasive species, and more recreational anglers targeting the fish around the island. And today, we're going to explore the Faroe Islands and its fisheries, and decide whether or not this isolated little paradise will stay that way. Before leaving Ireland, I had been in touch with a Danish guy. Can you hear? Test, 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 yeah. test. All right, cool. This is Kasper Jagergaard. Kasper lives in Denmark and religiously fishes for the sea trout that roam the shores. But 15 years ago, he fell in love with a Faroese woman who took him to her homeland, which he also fell in love with. The thing that drives me up here, that is the pure, uncut and edited nature we have up here. More importantly, Casper fell in love with the fishing in the Faroe Islands. So, a couple days before I flew to the capital city of Torshan, I sent him a message on Instagram, and he bought a ticket so he could show me around the Faroes. He was just looking for an excuse to go fishing. Imagine this, alright? I'm tired after 20 hours of fishing, you know, and it's, it's nearly midnight. It's not that cold, and I've got some food and a couple of beers, and this is the perfect time to get a little bit drunk, actually, because you can sleep it off. Casper is a spin fisherman and occasionally leads trips of anglers to the Faroes. I figured having a semi-local guide would be a good call because this place was so foreign to me. Our plan was to fish in a few different places around the islands, starting with the most famous fishing spot in the Faroes. What's this place called? Saxon, the shore at Saxon. This is a, a, a fairly known hotspot, so this, okay. this is no secret whatsoever. Tomorrow, Tomorrow we, we will not tell where we are, because that is, that is my uh, little child. It's impossible to describe how beautiful this place is. Grass-covered hills with millions of shades of green drop sharply into the ocean. Free-roaming sheep and giant basalt boulders dot the hillside and the beach. 
waterfalls cascade into the ocean. You can see a few photos on our website, drakemag.com. And what we're going to go for now is to see if we got any salmon and trout. And uh, this is what we're trying to, to see if they're there. And uh, the only way of doing it is to, to cast a line. Alrighty, let's go give it a try. Yeah, oh, let's go. Awesome. The majority of land-based anglers in the Faroe Islands target sea-run brown trout, which they call sea trout. But there's also a lot of Atlantic salmon around. Many are escapees from the net pens of the fishing farms, but wild fish from all around the North Atlantic come to the Faroes to feed in the resource-rich waters surrounding the islands. So we rigged up and set out to where a tidal stream enters the North Atlantic Ocean, hoping something would like what we were throwing. Actually, we have seen a lot of trouts jumping out of the water and uh, we have seen some small salmon and yeah. they are pushing in now. So um, right now, this is where we need to be. Sea trout were jumping everywhere. I tied on a pink shrimp pattern and on my first cast, I hooked into a six inch sea trout that spit my hook as I reached to do the same. A long distance release. After that, I had a few short strikes from some little guys, but the fish were more interested in looking at my fly than eating it. Casper had a bit more luck, and around midday, we took a break for lunch. And luckily for me, Casper had brought some local fare. What we've got here is striped fish. Try try just to smell it. it. Smells like dried fish. The dried fish looked a bit like the synthetic tying material, polar fiber. Yeah, something you could give your dog or cat. But we weren't done there. I would say that this looks Almost like Parmesan cheese with the wax on the outside. Yeah, yeah, you can say that as well. And this cheese-like chunk was actually whale blubber, which came from a pilot whale that Casper's family members had harvested. So what you do is just cut it down to the skin. The thing is that if you combine this with dry fish and blubber and the dried meat, which has been hanged for half a year. So this is a farin sandwich. Fruits from the sea. What does it taste like? Special, yeah? It's a bit rough to chew, I know. You have to chew a lot. That is because of um, the fat from, from the whale, the blubber and... <laughs> As I chew, I'll explain a bit about where this whale came from. For hundreds of years, the Faroese people have been harvesting pilot whales, which are actually a species of dolphin, but they still call them whales. Whale hunts are still a regular part of life. It's called the Grindadrup, or Grind, and it starts when a pod of whales are spotted coming towards land. Whalers jump into their boats and then herd the whales towards one of 23 approved beaches. Whalers bang on their boats and pound metal poles with hammers, which creates an acoustic wall of sound that's literally painful for the whales. It drives the pod forward, toward the shallow waters of a whaling beach, where more volunteer whalers grab blowholes with dull hooks and then dispatch the animals with a spear to the spinal cord. This description is from episode 10 of Outside Magazine's podcast, which is all about the whale harvest in the Faroes, and you should definitely check it out. You can find a link on our website. And this harvest is a long-standing tradition. The, the killing the whales may look terrifying, and um, you may think that this is wrong. And in, in a way, you're right, because it is wrong to kill uh, intelligent animals. And believe me, they don't like it, but they do it. It's a part of a uh, of way of living. 
the past is still hanging on to, to the culture up here of way of eating and preparing food and things like that. So I'm about 45 seconds in and still chewing this blubber. <laughs> <laughs> there's definitely the fishiness to it coming from the dry fish, but then there's this subtle sweetness that comes yeah, out with it. Yeah, tons of oil. Tons of oil. Okay, that's, that's the oils coming out of it. Yeah. But that first bite, it just squirted the oil out. Yeah. It's like, um, and now there's almost a sourness to it. Yeah, and they mix really well together. Yeah, all three. Yeah. Mm. We also sampled some fermented lamb, fish sausage, and locally raised eggs. I'll remember this cultural experience as much as the fishing. In addition to the beach fishing at Saxon, there's a lagoon about 400 yards inland that's a mix of salt and fresh water. The fish tend to stage in this area before entering a small stream that leads up to a lake. After lunch, we headed up to the lagoon to see if there were any salmon waiting to make their way into the river to spawn. And the salmon runs here? They're all artificial. Local anglers got tired of waiting for the sea trout to grow big, so they introduced salmon, which are supported by hatcheries, to increase their angling opportunities. And we found them. In this shallow little cove right below a waterfall, the water boiled. Oh man, there, there are tons of salmon here. And I cast my shrimp pattern about 10 feet in front of the pod of cruising salmon. You, you spot them, you were straight on and say, hey, we've got it, we've got it here. And I said, hey, where, where, where? Straight forward. And I saw, I saw salmon. We tried a lot and, and uh, even cast in, right in front of them. No, no, no one want to play. I, I mean, I tried every type of fishing no, for them. I was did, did, slapping yeah. it on top yeah, of them. Yeah, I yeah. tried a few flies, and then I tried just giving it a little twitch, but they were not having it. But yeah, it was great just seeing that many big fish and just not knowing why they aren't biting. It's so frustrating, but it's also like, hey, good for you. Fun. Yeah, fun. You can beat me, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You win this round, Sam. And I lost, yeah, yeah, absolute, absolute. And th this is this is maybe what it's all about. It's not, it's not how big your fish are, how many you get. For me, as an angler, it's, it's more like solving the mystery and, and not always take the easy way, because the easy way would be using bait, without any doubt. You can always throw bait out in the water and feed them with a hook in it. You can always do that. I mean, we're sentient beings. <laughs> fish are not. And it's, it's sometimes nice to be reminded that we don't know everything. No, absolutely, absolutely. You can fish in a pool which looks like garbage and you could catch a ton of fish and uh, it could be a loss. But today, I think it was a win. You can't even describe how beautiful this place is and we took a bunch of pictures and they won't do it justice, so you're welcome to go to the website, drakemag.com. If you want to see it for yourself, go. You gotta go. It's, it's, it's worth a trip, without any doubt. From Saxon, we headed into the beyond. At Casper's request, and to avoid the risk of hotspotting, we aren't going to say where we went. No, no names. We can talk about what we are doing, how the things are looking, and, and all the techniques we are using is open for. Say whatever you want to do, but the spot is secret. This is just to protect the nature for having thousands of people coming here, because this is a very popular place for the locals. They know it, and they keep it secret as well, so we, we need to keep it secret. Though we weren't necessarily locals either. While en route to our destination, 
Casper ran into some distant relatives. This is the, the funny part of it. When you meet a family member to your wife and you just start talking and quickly, as I know, all Danish men, they would love to go out and fish and I just picked it and I was all right. And uh, he had no gear at all. <laughs> uh, my girlfriend is local. And she's, uh, she's uh, related to my, uh, to my wife. Yeah, yeah. So we invited them to join us that evening for a bit of beach fishing. What are we going to do here? We've got a coast right out here with a, a little stream comes out to it. And um, the best time of the day is always in the evening. And uh, well, what we can hope for to get is uh, trout, salmon. Don't get frustrated if you can't see any trout. Because as long as they're not jumping, they want to play. As soon as you see a thousand trout's jumping out of the water, it will be a rough time. And how are you going to be fishing? Spinning gear, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm going for. No, I use a macro. macro. Yeah. And I'll be using flies, so... Is this a competition? Yeah, let's yeah. keep it on. Yeah, oh, totally, totally. I'm on. I'm on. Um, to kick off the competition, I think we do need to... Oh, Mr. Do. <laughs> we swigged from a bottle of cheap Irish whiskey and headed to the beach. Unfortunately, five anglers had beat us there. They all stood right in front of the tidal stream, so we worked the waters along the beach. After an hour, it started raining. What, what's going on right now? In fact, we see a fish jump. I've seen maybe 12 fish jump, but I didn't feel anything with the mackerel uh, tackle. And what did we say earlier about fish jumping? Not a good combination at all. Basically the same story that we saw in a Saxon. When they jump, that's nice to see it because it proves they're there. I had a, a, a little strike, um, no fight at all, but that's it. Shake it up for 10 minutes and uh, call it a wrap. Uh, hello, Mr. Dew, nice to see you again. <laughs> Hasn't been too long. No, 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 but it's still nice to see him again. <laughs> <laughs> we ended the day with two very small Atlantic salmon from our time at Saxon. But we weren't disappointed because it was so damn beautiful. Before we can move on, a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Scott Fly Rods. Throughout my time in the Faroes, I relied heavily on my 9.5 foot 8 weight Scott Radian. Neither the wind, nor the rain, nor the salt were able to get in the way of my fishing. I could single hand spay cast while fishing the streams, and bomb long shots to jumping fish in the ocean. It's not the rod's fault that I didn't hook into all that much. To try a Radian, or any other Scott Rod for yourself, visit your local fly shop or scottflyrod.com. We're also sponsored by Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures. And while Yellow Dog may not have any operations in the Faroe Islands, they can help you fish just about anywhere else in the world. This is Jim Klug with Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures. We specialize in sending anglers all around the world in search of the very best fishing opportunities and experiences. This week's featured destination is Cuba. The fact that Yellow Dog has been working in and fishing Cuba for so many years means that we have things completely dialed in and set for each and every client we send down. Cuba is a great option for fishing, and even better when it comes to the people, music, scenery, and overall culture. Give us a call here at Yellow Dog or visit us online at yellowdogflyfishing.com. And remember that while there's a lot of ways to get there, there's only one way to do it right. Alrighty, back to the show. That night, 
we stayed in a small cottage where Casper's family keeps their sheep. We snacked on leftovers from lunch and drank a bit too much. But by 6 a.m. the next morning, we were ready to give the fishing another go. All right, we are up in the lake, still in a place I won't say where it is, but I would love to show it to who anyone could be interested to see where that is. We hit several lakes in the highlands and managed a couple small trout. And as the fishing went downhill... What, what was that all about? What was, was the cast? Beautiful, beautiful. It was the perfect style of all towns. And what have we been doing so far today? Oh, man. Not fishing a lot, but drinking, you know. <laughs> we had some few beers, let me put it this way. And uh, still just having talk about the way things are up here and, and the history of the culture and the, the history of the Faroe Islands, basically, and the way it works up here and the way that the locals are thinking. Because Casper himself isn't a local, I figured I'd better talk to someone from the Faroe Islands to get a local's perspective. philosophy of fly fishermen around the world, I think that if you catch a big trout, you release it so the next guy can have uh, the same experience. This is Jegvan Arnesen Jurus, and I'm sure I'm butchering that. He grew up in the Faroe Islands, but is now studying in Denmark. We talked about how the islands and the fishing has changed in the past decade. Ten years ago, we could go to almost any lake in the Faroes and be alone, but it doesn't really happen anymore. There's always people around them. It shouldn't be a bad thing, but, but you know, there's, there tends to be a, a lack of respect maybe for the trout sometimes, and everything that gets caught gets, gets taken home and, uh, and killed. And it's a problem because the pharaohs are a small country and the lakes are small and very uh, vulnerable. And we know by experience that the trout take a long time to grow. Can you so, tell me how long they take to grow? No, I can't, because uh, once we've tried to catching a trout, which we caught before and we tagged, and it was exactly one year later and it didn't grow at all. So we don't know, but we know that it happens very, very, very uh, slowly. Well, let's talk about the tourism and the pressure mm-hmm. that you've seen a change in the last 10, 15 years. Where do you see it going? We look at the tourism in the Faroes today, and it's growing quite a bit, and of course, it's positive. The number of tourists visiting the Faroe Islands has increased 50% in the last five years to nearly 300,000 in 2016, all in a country with a population of less than 50,000 people. I think the problem in the Faroes is that we don't have our infrastructure ready. You know, people come to the Faroes for the nature, for the hikes and everything, but there are no paths. We have a couple of unfortunate deaths in the mountains because people uh, get allowed to walk the mountains in the Faroes without guides, without any restrictions. And it's, uh, we need a better infrastructure to uh, be totally prepared because uh, all of the prognosis are saying that there are going to come more and more tourists to the Faroes. So. And I think part of the draw of this place is that it's not ready, kind of? Like, yeah. you go to a little town and there isn't a little gift shop just for tourists mm-hmm. and there's no, like, fudge shops and things like that yeah. that are all in tourist towns. Yeah, but you know, um, the point of tourism is uh, making money. Let's be honest, and, uh, and that's one of the problems you're, you're talking about in the Faroes, that the majority of the tourists coming here are backpacking tourists, and they, they don't leave a lot of money behind, so... Uh, cough, cough. You no, know, it's, it's a wear and tear on the country without much uh, money left behind. But yeah, I, I get it, of course, it's, it's the unspoiled experience you come for, so building paths everywhere and gift shops and coffee shops it would, uh, it would ruin the, the charm of the, of the islands. But, you know, we have to make some money off the tourists. 
where do you see this place in 10 years, both as the fishing as well as the, the tourism industry, the infrastructure, and just kind of the culture has been very insulated for nearly a thousand plus years. Yeah, uh, the culture is very strong. So I don't think the culture will change too much. Uh, I guess you, you read a bit uh, on the pilot whale uh, slaughtering. And there's been the pressure on us since the 80s uh, regarding the pilot whales, but we're, we're still standing strong and we believe that what we're doing is right and we're doing it the right way. And we expect the tourism to grow and we, we should regard it as a positive thing. But again, I think we need to get the infrastructure more ready uh, if it keeps on growing, because uh, it has to be a pleasant experience for all. What else did you ask about? Oh, the fishing in 1015. Yeah, years. the fishing. Well, um, if it keeps on continuing at the same rate that my, me and my friends have experienced for the last 10 or 15 years, then it's going to get worse. Because more and more people go fishing in the Faroes, and of course, it wears the lakes down. And, but when they come to the Faroes, they fish for free everywhere. They take what they want, they go where they want, there are no restrictions, no money, no anything. Uh, I think that's too bad. And so do you see this coming from top down of putting restrictions like making some lakes completely catch and release or...? Mm, I don't know, I don't, uh, I don't believe in too many rules and such, but um, maybe it, it, it depends more on the state of mind that you implement in the people that... Uh, you know, you're having a good time fishing, you had a, a lot of fun catching that trout, maybe the next guy should have the same experience. So just let it go, you're not gonna eat it anyway, you're just gonna have it in the freezer for a year and throw it out anyway. But uh, we need some uh, regulations from the politicians. Uh, maybe some uh, minimum amount which it costs to fish all the lakes and the faroes, you know. We have, we have four lakes where it costs money to fish, and that's all because we, uh, we raise the salmon ourselves to fish, but all of the other lakes are free and there are no regulations, so I think we need a bit of both. Back at the lake with Casper. We haven't been that lucky with trouts these days here, basically. There have been small trouts, but I, I know they are here, and we are going to hit them. I know for sure, and we... We made an agreement earlier today that we're going to find our dinner. So let's hopefully see if we can grab something to eat. And that we did. Casper managed a decent trout on a chunk of mackerel, which he proceeded to bonk on the head. But just like Yogvan had mentioned, it definitely wasn't the most prudent thing to do. And I had pretty mixed feelings about doing so. We hit a few more licks, but to end the night, Casper wanted to show me somewhere special. We took a one-lane road that led to the coast. And we, we, we passed actually one of the lakes you haven't seen before, and you, you were straight off for, hey, we've we, we got, we got trouts going on here. But yeah, I said, yeah, but um, trust me, you want to see this trip here because it's very, very beautiful. And After a 15-minute drive, we pulled into an empty gravel lot that overlooked a cove. Two anchors marked the location of a 19th century shipwreck that had left over 20 sailors dead. We rigged up our rods and solemnly hiked down to the beach. In terms of the nature out there, colors and the way the cliffs, the water and things like that, it makes it a very special place. Immediately, I felt a few plucks on my fly. At the end of a cast, I set my rod on the beach and snapped a few photos of the setting sun. When I picked the rod back up, a fish hit right away. I lifted the rod and found a small black pollock. My first Faroese fish wasn't much of a match for my aid weight. These little guys were everywhere and really liked the upwards action of a jig fly. 
so I proceeded to cast 10 feet into the surf and pop the fly towards the surface. A half dozen came to hand. I had come all this way to catch a 5-inch cod. Casper, however, managed a 45-centimeter sea trout, which we also brought back to the cabin. They were excellent eating. Though I may not have really hooked into all that much during my time with Casper, I enjoyed the game of trying to figure out this fishery with little to no information beforehand. And I failed at the game. But like Casper said while we were in Saxon, it was still a win. There are still room for technique, you know, an improvement on that one. And uh, I'm still looking forward to see who's going to break that code. Absolutely, absolutely. Great kind of like challenge to throw out there. Uh, anything else you want to include? There is a reason why I'm up here after 13 years, and um, it's hard to explain. I've tried to. You've got to see it for yourself. Visit Faroe Islands got this slogan, the adventure starts where the road ends, and this is basically where uh, here is where the road ends. So it's pure adventure up here, absolutely. And that's what I loved about the Faroes. It's so untouched by time. But like we mentioned, the entire country is fragile. And so me talking about it right now makes me somewhat uncomfortable because I don't want to spoil such an amazing place. I'll leave you with one final story from Yogban about why he loves his home country so much. But I remember this one time, but it was a typical Faroe story where uh, there's this lake by uh, the village of Norodalar. Me and two of my buddies, we went there on a Friday night and the winds were really blowing. It was very stormy and raining and yeah, the weather was horrible actually. We got up there, it's, it's a hike that takes normally half an hour, but the weather was so bad it took an hour and a half. And we were pretty worn out when we got up there, we put our tents up, tried to fish a little, and we were soaking wet and just wanted to go into our sleeping bags. But the next morning we woke up, the weather was perfect. Clear skies, no wind, maybe 20 degrees, which is very, very, very warm. The pharaohs and it all just came together and we started fishing, caught a couple of good trouts and just had an amazing time. You know, three buddies from primary school and having a good time. It was pretty amazing. And right now you're living in Denmark. Mm. What, what are your plans in 10 years? What, like, what would your dream be? Um, well, I want to live in the Faroes, no doubt about that that because it's it, it's home you know it's uh, it's mountains fresh air fishing sheep everything it, uh, i can't explain it it's, it's, it's just home it's a feeling it's where i belong i don't belong in a city with uh, gray buildings everywhere i belong here where the lakes and uh, and mountains are very close all the time after parting with casper i hopped on a ferry to iceland You'll get to hear about that adventure in our next episode. Many thanks to Jegvan and Casper for taking the time to chat with me and share such a wonderful place with an American fishing bum. You can find more information about Casper's guiding operation through his Instagram or Facebook page under the handle NorthCatch. There's also a link on our website. There, you'll also find a photo essay from my time in the Faroes. Many thanks to Casper's family for their hospitality and to all the people I met during my time in the Faroes. And thanks to reporter Joel Carnegie and The Outside Podcast for letting us borrow the whale hunting tape. You can find The Outside Podcast 
anywhere you can find podcasts. Like I mentioned before, next week we head to Iceland. We continued on my hunt for the elusive Atlantic salmon. The way it is now is the result of a process that's been going on for thousands of years. And it is as good as it gets up to now. We, we can't do it better. Bam! It was on. Nailed it in the surface. It was hard being uh, addicted to fishing when, when I was a kid. Buckle up and get ready. Thanks for listening. This has been the Drake Cast.